Hello, and welcome to the Short Gun Sportsman, a podcast about handgun hunting brought to you by Handgun Hunters International. My name is Ryan Hoover, and I'm your host. I believe handgun hunting is the most rewarding way to hunt, and it's something I want to share with as many people as I can. If you are at all interested in getting your own game meat, I want to challenge you to a way of hunting that is good for both your spirit and your body, so you can become the confident, self-reliant person you were meant to be. Today's episode is one I've been looking forward to for a long time because today I get to talk to Larry Wysoon. Larry Wysoon is just a great gentleman. He has been so helpful to me. He is always kind and ready to help and give advice and connect people. He is just one of the good ones that we have for sure. And uh, today, Larry and I are going to talk about some of the his history with handguns. He, he was there at some of the pivotal moments in handgun hunting in the last few decades. He's written for the industry forever, and he is a very experienced hunter. And again, like I said, such a nice, nice guy. Uh, you can find Larry. I mean, he has a podcast that I've been on, DSC Campfires with Larry Wysoon is the name of that podcast. I recommend you go listen to all of the episodes, but of course, especially the ones featuring me. Um, he also does a podcast for Sporting Classics Daily called Campfires with Luke and Larry. He hosts a TV show on Carbon TV uh, with a couple other guys called Sportsman's Life. He's in development of another TV show called The Journey. He writes online for North American Deer Hunter, North American Outdoorsman, American Outdoor News, and on blogs such as Carbon TV, InternationalSportsman.com, Taurus, DSC, Hornady, Trigicon. And if you go through some of the well-known uh, news rack gun rags, you'll find a lot of Larry's stuff in there, uh, especially from back in the day as well. And he has been gracious enough to give us plenty of articles for our free digital bi-monthly publication called The Six Gunner, which in case you didn't know is free to everyone. All you got to do to read that is just go to subscribepage.com forward slash The Six Gunner and sign up and you'll get those issues of The Six Gunner delivered directly to your inbox. So again, subscribepage.com forward slash The Six Gunner. Anyway, I immensely enjoyed talking with Larry, as I always do, and I hope you enjoy my interview with Larry Wysoon. Larry, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. I really appreciate it. It is an absolute pleasure to be on this podcast with you. I've, I've been looking forward to this ever since you and I started talking about it. Yes, yes. And uh, you, I, you've been a great help to me in HHI and just historical perspective, having me on your podcast. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it and how excited I am to finally be doing this with you. Well, same way here, and I can't wait to get you back on, too. You know, that organization, as you mentioned, been around for a, a several years and i had the great pleasure of over the years having known uh, jd jones and a whole bunch of the other old time if you will handgun hunters going back to like mr bill jordan and larry kelly and mm -hmm. and uh oh my gosh the list just goes on and on kind of bob millick and oh my gosh the really great memories whenever i open up anything from the past or anything new that you've got going on right now which i think is great and one of the one of the reasons that i wanted to talk to you because you have so much to share um, I want to start, I know you grew up in, um, for most people to know, South Texas, uh, kind of close to Columbus, correct? Which is north of Houston? 
it, well, we're almost due west of Houston. West, we're right yeah. off the just yeah, just off the Colorado River. I grew up kind of in the gravel hills, and the the uh, coastal plains start just south of there. But grew up there in, in northern Colorado County in a little German-speaking community called Zimmerzite. And everybody, when I was growing up, either spoke German or Low German. And and uh, be very frank about it, I could hardly speak English when I started grade school. And, Interesting. Uh, but you know, in the, the retrospect, in kind of looking backwards, it's really kind of cool that the fact that I did learn how to speak German early on because it's really kind of paid off a time or two when traveling in Europe and then also traveling in Africa. I was in Africa and listened to the Afrikaans language there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. after listening to those guys talk a little bit and started thinking you know more in german type terms uh i could understand for the most part what they were saying so you know looking back it was really kind of cool having grown up into that german community and also speaking german to begin with that's cool that's cool and that's why nobody knows how to pronounce your last name correctly that's right <laughs> <laughs> which it's why soon correct? Right. Yeah, it, it is. Yes. Sir. <clears throat> I'm a stickler yes, about sir. that. I live in Fredericksburg and you know, it's a German heritage community as well. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a pretty strong German background country in that all throughout that area. Yeah. So I know you came up just steeped in the outdoors. I know your grandfather and father were great outdoorsmen, fishing and hunting. Can you tell me kind of where you encountered handgun hunting for the first time and what drew you into that? The handgun hunting thing, I think, goes back to watching a whole lot of Roy Rogers, Gene Autry, and some of those, those that era of uh, cowboys with fascination with handguns. And along the way, I, I read a couple articles. Uh, there was a guy by the name of Al George. He mm-hmm. had taken, uh, I think it was a uh, uh, like an old Remington rolling block and turning it into a handgun and reading about it. And then, of course, Hal Swiggett was writing about handgun hunting that time and mm-hmm. Skeeter Skelton and some of those others. And there was just a fascination to me with handguns to begin with. And uh, I spent some time around guys who carried handguns for a living, you know, in terms of, of, of uh, law enforcement, those kind of things. And all those things kind of added up and then it became, well, this has got to, you know, if you could hunt with a handgun, that would probably be pretty challenging. And little did I realize how truly accurate handguns can be and uh, how, how really little difference there is between handgun hunting and rifle hunting other than you got a short barrel and uh, as opposed to a long barrel. But all that fascination goes back to some of the early reading and, and talking with people. And uh, early on, I, I met an old sheriff who killed a, unbelievable white tail there and, and it's a long story and he was out chasing criminals and all that kind of stuff and it was during the hunting season he had permission to hunt and, and uh all of a sudden this big buck jumped up in front in front of him and he shot him with his what he used to call an old thumbbuster, old uh model peak coat uh 45 coat and uh and and kill this buck and as soon as he did he realized what he'd done and, and so there were two criminals out there that and he was after and he he hollered out to him when he realized that he shot this deer and he goes and then if you don't get out here right now we'll shoot the next one he the same way and both guys walked out kind of thing and that made a really a great impression upon me i remember seeing that old buck and 
that he shot with that 45 Colt. It was one of the better deer taken in that part of the world at that time. That's, that's such a good story. <laughs> that's a good story. Um, that you mentioned Al George. Um, yes. I was fortunate enough to get his book not too long ago and be his, oh, cool. his self-published book, you know, and for those who don't right. know, he unfortunately passed away in a plane crash not too long after his book was published. Um, but through, through the organization and reaching out, I got to talk to his granddaughter and, uh, and then, Oh man. Yeah, it's pretty neat. And they, they have more stuff from the George family and uh, I'm trying to, you know, convince them to re-release it because, um, when, whenever you get a book, his, his widow signed the inside cover of them because he was supposed to have signed them. And she said, you know, unfortunately Al passed away, please accept my signature. Thank you for buying the book. Right. So it's a, it's, it's a really cool piece of handgun hunting history. And uh, yeah, the, that rolling block that you're talking about having, having kind of read about that as it was happening. That's, that's really neat to hear. Wow. That is fantastic. I, I knew he passed away and I knew there was a self-published book, but I'd never even had a chance to see the darn thing. Mm -hmm. How fantastic. Yeah. It's called, um, uh, pioneering handgun hunting. And, uh, Pioneering. It's and really... he certainly was one of them. Yeah, yes, exactly right. Exactly right. My gracious. So mm. for you, I know, um, as your career progressed, you moved from being a, wi a wildlife biologist for Texas Parks and Wildlife into some wildlife consulting and then also working in the firearms and hunting industry. And so you were fortunate enough to be able to go on so many cool hunts with so many guns that were new at the time or just really kind of iconic hunting handguns. Can you tell me uh, what, what were some of your more memorable handgun hunts? Oh my goodness! Uh, I know it's probably, probably not a short I'm gonna, list. <laughs> I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you back a little bit farther than that. I used to have a uh, Harrington Richardson, uh, 22, a 922 mm. that I carried a lot, and I spent a lot of time hunting small game with it. Hunted and shot a lot of cottontails, uh, armadillos, squirrels, a uh, few snakes, and those kind of things. That was really kind of the the. And I was just kind of a grown kid at the time. And that really is kind of what also started me into some of the other guns that I got into. But, you know, I shot revolvers for a long time, some of the Smith & Wessons, some of the early uh, Rigors that they had out, the uh, the Blackhawk and, and uh, the Super Blackhawk Hunter, which uh, did a story about and has always been one of my favorite guns. It's in a forty four mag. But then along the way, too, I really got into when Thompson Center started, uh, really started releasing the Contender single shot pistol. Uh, that really got me interested in because all of a sudden now I could use something like a 3030, which gave me a little bit longer range for a 35 Remington or a 4570 and, you know, and some of those kind of uh, lower pressure modern cartridges if you will mm -hmm. and uh so i got to hunt quite a bit with uh, the original contenders and then got to know jd jones and for a long time i shot a uh, 309 jdj and i mm -hmm. shot all kinds of things with it dearly loved it of course he had the 375 jdj as well too and i shot a fair amount with it and uh, gosh they're the 6.5 jdj and and uh got again got to shoot a bunch of those and then i was uh i was not really doing a whole lot with, uh, from a, a business perspective with uh, uh, Thompson Center, but I started doing a bunch of work with them and got to know that the entire family group, if you will, because 
the TC back then was a, a big family group. Most of the people that worked there, and there were a lot of employees, but they all seemed to be from the same community and all kind of somehow kind of related when you got right down to it. So uh, when they developed the Encore, I got a call one morning from Ken French. He was, uh, Ken was, the, I think, the second employee that Thompson Center hired, and so he kind of oversaw production, and he was very much involved in every aspect of, of TC, and he he, we'd been trying to get a, a moose permit in, uh, in Maine, and, and so he called me one morning. He said, two things. I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, he said I, we, we, you're going to be able to hunt moose this fall, and he said, you're not bringing a gun. I've got one for you. So uh, I thought, wow, you know, we were doing the muzzleloader stuff at the time, too, and I thought, well, this is going to be another muzzleloader. And so we'd, I fly up there to uh, get ready for the moose hunt, and uh, – Jay Wayne Fears and I were sitting in, and Jay Wayne too was one of my great influences as far as handguns. He and I did a lot of hunting with contenders early on too. Uh, we walk into Ken's office and uh, he hands a long kind of rectangular shaped package to to uh, Wayne and he hands me a much shorter package. And then I couldn't wait to look in and open it up and it was a what looked like a beefed up a contender and so the first thing i did is i looked on the the, the barrel to see what was uh stamped on it and it said 308 and uh the, at the time i said well and i was working for shooting times at the time as well too as our hunting editor and, and uh looked at that pistol and her handgun if you will and and uh, i said well what's the name of it he goes i have no earthly idea it hadn't been named <laughs> And so we took it. We took it to the range that afternoon, and I noticed that uh, there were, you know, several improvements over the contender in the fact that it was a larger frame, and and now we, we were, had a, a barrel on it that was had a sharp shouldered rifle cartridge in it. And I also noticed that if you cocked the hammer and you wanted to let the hammer down, uh, if you didn't get the shot, you could do so without having and then not having to open the action like you did with the old contender mm-hmm. where you could recock the thing. And, and uh, I thought, man, that's pretty cool. So we went out to the range and uh, we put a, uh, uh, I can't remember, what, I think it was a, uh, it was a TC scope back then. Uh, the TC uh, long eye release scopes were made by uh, 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 light optical in the Philippines. And so I looked, we put, got some shells from Hornady and, Shot the first couple of times at about 50 yards, and, and both the holes were touching, you know, and backed off to 100 yards and put three shots, and you could cover them with less than a, a, a half-dollar piece kind of thing. Oh, <laughs> man, this is really cool. <laughs> so from there, we went on to the uh, to the moose hunt and the first morning of, the, of that moose season, and uh, not that point shot a moose, but we got on to a moose that had drop times that Kenny had seen about six miles from where uh, we found him that morning and, and uh, crawled in there and shot him and, and, uh, and hit him really hard and he took a few steps and then he moved over a little bit more to the right and I shot him again and he fell in a county road, if you will, or not a, <laughs> or not a, what we would call a, a caliche road mm-hmm. through, through the area. So it actually didn't have to pack him very far. We could actually drive right up to him and they had a drop trailer and we had a winch and we didn't had to pull him off the road so we could put the winch on to which him on the back of the uh, 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 that trailer. And from there, I took the handgun I had drawn that same year, Shiras Moose permit in Colorado, and I shot a, a real nice young Shiras Moose bull at about 
oh, about 50 to 75 yards. And then a little bit later, about two weeks later after that, I shot a really nice six by six bull elk in eastern Colorado. So I, I was hooked to say the least. And in the time frame of all that, finally, uh, I got a call just as we're getting ready to go to press for shooting times. And uh, I said, okay, you know, I called up there and said, okay, we need a name. So uh, they called me back a couple days later and said, I think it's going to be the Encore, uh, TC Encore. And so uh, <laughs> that was the birth of the, of the TC Encore. And after that, I, the, I told them, I said, look, I want to, this pistol is mine. You've got to send me this handgun as soon as you get stuff because they maybe sent it back. And I was complaining about that. And I said, man, we hadn't even made spec, got the specs and everything yet that we need from it. And so I said, okay, I get the first barrel and the first frame that, you know, you guys produce. And, and uh, sure enough, a little bit later, I ended up with a, one of the early frames with a 30 out six barrel on it. With that 30 out six barrel, I hunted uh, everywhere from Alaska all the way down into Texas and from Maine over to uh, throughout, you know, the Colorado areas and in the mountains and then took it to, uh, to South Africa as well one year. Shot a bunch of stuff there as well too. That's awesome. So you you were you were the first guy to successfully hunt with what would become the TC Encore pistol. Exactly, like I said at that point when I shot that first moose, uh, we didn't even know the name of it, uh, wow. as I mentioned earlier. And so yes, I shot the first thing shot with the TC Encore, and then uh, Wayne Fears also had the in the rifle format and. Wayne ended up shooting a nice moose uh, probably about four days later after I shot mine with the 308 rifle in that encore. But uh, interesting. And then I shot the second and third animals taken with it as well. Too. Wow! Yeah, because you had you had the you had a lock on the supply. Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I had the one and only one in existence yeah. for several weeks there. And you know the thirty out six continues to be the the favorite barrel among handgun hunters for that factory offering for that handgun because I don't know why but for some reason it seems to be a good match in that fifteen inch barrel. Oh, it is ballistically it it becomes almost a three oh eight. There's mm-hmm. not a whole lot when you chronograph it. There's not a whole lot of difference between today's three oh eight rounds and thirty out six. But mm-hmm. I think part of that fascination with the thirty out six came in the fact that hey, it's it's bigger than three oh eight. It's bigger than three oh eight. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm tougher and I'm meaner and actually. <laughs> The recall of that thirty out six is very comparable to three oh eight. It's it's very manageable as far as I'm concerned. You mentioned something <laughs> about uh, the scope, the TC scope back then, and we've talked about this before about the that Philippine company was built Simmons scopes at one time, correct? They did. They, the the Simmons usually be very open with you these days when somebody tells me says I'm looking for a handgun scope. Which one can you would you recommend? And I says. Uh, I said, go to as far back as you can and mm-hmm. see if you can find one of the old original Simmons or also, which was the same thing as the TC scope. And they were built by light optical and they were absolutely the toughest thing around. Uh, I, I got tickled years ago and I did some promotional work for Simmons. Uh, Randall Pence, who went on to uh, later be with Ruger for their national uh, sales manager for a whole bunch of years. Uh, when he was with Simmons, they, they said, well, how do you field test your scopes? And he would say, well, we send them down to Larry, and if Larry can't tear them up in a week's time, they're pretty stout. And I did. I, I did horrible things with them. Uh, I had a forty-five seventy with, uh, and I just tightened the rings just tight enough to where the, the scope was there. 
and I, I, I got down behind a wall and I put the, a brick wall and I held a pistol up uh, the handgun above the wall and pulled the trigger because I wanted <laughs> to see what that scope would do. Mm-hmm. And I figured it would shear it or tear it all up. And when it was all said and done, uh, the scope was intact. The crosshairs were intact. I, I tightened the, the rings on it and shot unbelievably accurate for a long time with it, with that particular scope. And wow. I did it with the same one. And I did it with some others too, but some other brands. And, uh, it they they didn't fare as well as yeah. what <laughs> in. So my my suggestion to people is they if you're looking for a good handgun scope that's a long eye relay scope, you know, see if you can't find one of the old arena. I'm talking about right. going back into the nineties, nineteen nineties kind of thing. If you can find one of those, it's still they're still as good today as what they were when they first were released many years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually really good advice because uh, as you know, the biggest gap in equipment for handgun hunters right now is optics. And so just the more we can add to the list of, I get questions all the time about, Oh, what kind of scope, what kind of scope. And so I wanted to make sure that we added that one to the list. Well, you know, for a while I, I did a lot of work with, with Zeiss and Zeiss mm-hmm. developed a long eye relief scope. The unfortunate thing is they never manufactured more than three of them. Mm. And, uh, that particular long eye relay scope that they had was every bit as tough as what the original TC and hmm. and uh, Simmons scopes were. But the the beauty of that particular scope too was the 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 eye relief was probably 36 inches or more oh. because you could hold that scope right up to your eye and then push it out as far as you wanted to mm-hmm. and still have a uh, wow. full view and. I, I, unfortunately, I, we tried. We, we I pushed them real hard to do that and help work some of the stuff initially on it, and and they built the three, and then later they asked for two of them back, and I, I kept one of them thankfully. But uh, I, I got tickled. This was about the time when the uh, the, the scout rifles were coming out, when people were coming up with mm-hmm. uh, long eye release scope for a scout. And when I talked to the uh, the uh, the people at Zeiss. It was, uh, we don't shoot handguns in Europe. <laughs> as a result of that, they, they never made any handgun scopes. We all know the fleet that they originally did, oh, which was a shame because yeah. had, had they done it, they would have sold thousands of those scopes to mm-hmm. the guys who were shooting the, the, uh, the long eye relief mounts yeah. on the scout rifles. Absolutely. And I just wanted to mention also, you know, you are a great contributor to our magazine, The Six Gunner. And I think, I know that there's a picture of your moose with the 308 uh, pre, yeah. pre, proto Encore, I should say. And yes. I think that there's a picture in there with that Zeiss scope with that, you know, mentioned something about it being, you know, right. unproduced. But uh, so for photographic add addition to this conversation, go check out the six gunner magazine. Um, there you go. <laughs> one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, which I always love hearing um, you guys with, with great experience, the landscape for hunting today is so vastly different than it was when you started. And even, you know, a few decades ago, 20 years ago, we run into a lot of access issues. We run into, I mean, of course, in Texas, we always run into access issues, but we run into a lot of, um, you know, everything has gotten more expensive. So my question to you is if you were uh, Larry Wysoon, but the age you were at when you were first getting interested in handgun hunting, but it was 2023, what would you do to 
kind of pursue that? If I were going to be in it, going, putting myself now at say 20, 22, 23 years old, I would not really change a whole lot of things to be frank with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would start out probably if I were concerned about, I'd start out with a 22, uh, it particularly, I like happen to like revolvers more than I do semi-autos, or, mm-hmm. and I like single shots. So I would, I'd, I'd start out with a single shot 22 or 22 revolver and spend time learning the basics of the uh, handgun hunting, trigger pull, and and all those other kind of things, and start hunting the small game. There are all kinds of small game hunting opportunities available, particularly on public lands. Even here in Texas, between the oh the the Type 2 management areas in the National Forest, there's all kinds of great hunting to be had in terms of squirrels and rabbits. Uh, from that, I would probably go to, uh, say, like a 454 Casul, and I would start out uh, uh, on the low end there with a, uh, a 45 long coat or, or, or just 45 coat and start shooting it and getting used again to the trigger pull a little bit more experience a little bit more in terms of recall and spending a fair amount of time on the range and then maybe going to the you know shooting some 454 sioux and again in terms of, of hunting when it comes to uh, uh, larger game hunting there's a tremendous amount of hunting available again on national forest uh in through the Texas Parks and Law Department here in Texas. And in other states, they have all kinds of different management areas set up. And actually, there are some of those management areas in Texas and in some of these other areas that uh, generally have permits left over when the year is over with, mm-hmm. uh, where people, not enough people apply to, for, you know, to fill all those places. Then, too, I would spend time in some of these management areas that uh, if you had the opportunity to go during the middle part of the week, uh, if somebody doesn't show up there, you, if you're there when that person doesn't show up, then you have the ability to go hunt on those places uh, mm-hmm. instead of the guy that's supposed to be there. So to me, all those things, there, there's hunting available, but to me, too often we overlook the uh, the small game aspect. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of fun in hunting squirrels and hunting rabbits with a, with a 22 uh, long rifle handgun. Uh, and it really hones your skills in terms of, of uh, knowing your gun and knowing your capabilities with it. And then from there, just leading up to, I love the 44 mag, I love the 454 Casul and the 460 and, you know, all those other kind of things. But uh, with that 454 Casul, it's the ability to back off, you know, a little bit. Same thing like with the 460 SMW. That is a handful. And I would not recommend somebody that has any way uh, recoil conscious to ever start with <laughs> anything like that. But uh, at the same time, the mo- a lot of the 44s these days, I'm shooting Taurus a lot and they're Raging Hunter. And they have an integral type of uh, porting system, which makes it a lot louder. <laughs> but at the same time, it, it reduces the recoil. So basically, again, I'd, I'd probably do just the same thing. I start with the 22, go to the more powerful handguns in terms of, of calibers and rounds, and uh, just kind of work my way into it and look for opportunities. Today, too, there's, if you live in Texas, there are reasonable hog hunts to be found anywhere in the state of Texas. And so hog hunting is, is a great way, as far as I'm concerned, to uh, spend time with a handgun. And, and what I recommend a lot of times, if, if somebody's saying, I'm, I'm going to get into handgun, the first thing I suggest to them is, well, once you start out, instead of going hunting deer, once you start out with hogs. And, 
once you start getting into the hunting side of it, going past learning how to use that gun and the capabilities of it and your capabilities with it out to certain ranges kind of thing. You must have listened to the podcast I did with Mark Hampton because your advice lines up with him. And oh, really? Yeah, and I'll tell you, that just commends the both of you in that the experience about handgun hunting is is true across the board. I mean, he's from Missouri, you're from Texas, and you know, it's just verification that small game 22 is the way to get into it. Oh, it, it truly is. It, it's economical. It, they're fun to shoot. And, you know, you, you can shoot them a lot of different places that you might not be, be wanting to shoot a 45 or a 44 or something that's really loud. And, uh, I'm talking about, you know, hunting close to town where mm-hmm. there's public land close to town and, and those kind of things. But again, what a great way to learn and, and, uh, to build your confidence in your ability with that firearm. Yeah. And that actually brings to mind kind of maybe a misconception that I and some other hunters may have about, you know, Texas has so much less public land than some of the Western states that are so famous for their hunting right now. But I have gone on the Texas Parks and Wildlife website and looked at the different hunting areas and, right. you know, a lot of them are, lo- especially, it depends on what part of the state you're in. A lot of them are locked up and, or allow bow hunting only or uh, bird hunting only. Yeah. So can you tell us, Texas folks, or some of us that are surround, some of the surrounding states, where you would be looking for some of these opportunities um, I- as far as geographically, and then where you would find out about these opportunities? Well, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is, is a great way to start. The other thing is... Uh, and those opportunities exist on all kinds of different management areas as well. And there, even with the deer side of things, there are each year through the Texas Forks and Wildlife Farm, they issue a number of, of hunts. And, and it's been, from my experience, based upon talking to some of the guys who are in charge of that, there are several different units scattered across the state that never, ever get filled up as far as hunting is concerned. So yeah. to me, the, the, the first step I would do is I'd look at those uh, wildlife management areas, and that list is available by going to the Texas Forks and Wildlife site. Uh, there's national forest land scattered all throughout the, uh, oh gosh, all throughout the eastern part of the state. And there's a little bit of national grassland up in the edge of the panhandle sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So there are there, those opportunities. Uh there, there are opportunities a lot of time for hog hunting as well, too. Uh, and to me, what I would do there if I were totally new to Texas and we're trying to learn something, i try to find out who some of the county, agri- uh, county agriculture extension agents are, mm-hmm. meaning mm-hmm. the old county agents, if you will. Yeah. And uh, get in touch with those guys and say, you know, I'm, I'm new to this area and I'm looking for a place to hunt hogs. I know that you know most of the landowners here. You know, is there any place that I, you might suggest that I go for a very nominal, that may give me favor of a nominal fee, mm-hmm. you know, to, to be able to hunt those properties? But uh, those those opportunities ex- exist a lot of different places. Uh, there are, as I mentioned, wildlife management areas scattered out throughout Texas, and some of those are drawing, and then there are some of those that, uh, that unless they've changed the rules and regulations lately, there's some of those that uh, have public access to them uh, that you simply have to sign into. Mm. And some of those are, are such that there's some down in the Del Rio area that, 
are relatively remote and nobody hardly ever goes there. Some of the hunting there is fantastic because but you have to be able to walk into an area and you're going to have to be able to, to uh, drag that animal out or, you know, or bring yeah. it out in quarters or something mm-hmm. like that if you're hunting bigger game. But, uh, again, Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, the Agriculture Extension Agents, uh, uh, sometimes even the, the, the game wardens, uh, most game wardens have cover one county, maybe two or three counties, but a lot of times those opportunities are, you can find something through those guys as well too. Interesting. I'm glad I, I'm glad you brought that to mind because that's stuff that I want to know as well. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. There, there's some areas that, that, uh, they used to call type two areas that are scattered at Dalmat, Texas, Fort Lauderdale. And some of those, uh, there's one or two of those areas that are, were down in the Del Rio area close to, uh, to Amistad. They're really kind of, when you look at the map or kind of the, into nowhere and uh and because of the the, uh the remoteness hardly anybody ever goes down there Hmm. interesting i'm I'm taking notes as you're writing (laughs) (laughs) um so yes that that is fantastic because you know we're with hhi we're trying to get people together we're trying to have opportunities and we're we're you know, all over the United States. So finding places, but th- there are a good amount of us in Texas. So we're always trying to find places that we can get together. Or I also try to create or have ideas of places to send people when they ask me. So I appreciate you sharing that information. Um, Absolutely. We've been very fortunate here in Texas in so many different ways in that, uh, yes, we are all about what, 95, 98% privately owned, but there are several excellent public hunting areas that are available. You just have to kind of dig a little bit harder sometimes to find them. But uh, they're, even on some of the military installations, sometimes they will allow hunting as well, too. Interesting. Or they used to. And yeah. uh, Fort Hood used to be one of those places. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. We used to hunt Fort Hood uh, quite often. And, uh, and, and again, there, there are other areas. Uh, sometimes those areas crop up just, and they'll be open for a short period of time and they close. But then there are other areas that that open up again as well too. Uh, and another way to almost everybody here in Texas that hunts, uh, they will know somebody and in terms of landowners or in, in terms of places to hunt. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would suggest anybody that really likes, you know, or, or is thinking about particularly hunting with a handgun is if you know a hunter, by golly, just start talking with him. It's, Maybe you can't hunt deer on his property, you know, on his lease, but maybe there's small game opportunities or hog hunting opportunities or uh, uh, javelina or javelina being another one of those great game animals for handgunners as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Those kind of things do exist. And for the most part, a lot of those opportunities, even though they may be, there may be a charge associated with it. Uh, if you're not looking for a, a big white-tailed deer or something, a lot of times those dollar figures attached to other types of hunts is relatively small. Mm, yeah. Yeah, your, your dollar goes a lot further when you're not talking about big whitetails in Texas. Absolutely. You know, the interesting thing about it is if you look at – I'm I'm, not, I'm as bad as anybody. I complain about what the costs of hunting sometimes are these days. <laughs> but if you look at uh, the income – of the people in the 1950s compared to the income of the people today and look at what they spent in the 1950s on hunting as opposed to what those same people might be spending today, that percentage of income is almost exactly the same. The percentage of income has not 
has not increased that much. The dollar figure has, but then, you know, years ago, if you made $5,000 a year, you're doing pretty darn good. Well, if you spent $500 or, or say 10% of your, your annual income on mm-hmm. hunting, you know, you think about that as opposed, opposed to guys that are making forty, fifty thousand dollars these days or thirty thousand dollars or considerably yeah. more. That percentage is, you know, maybe now it's three to five thousand dollars, but it's that same percentage as what it was back when the income was five thousand dollars. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess I just have to, my best friend always tells me that I need to stop being such a cheapskate and I guess I should just follow his advice. <laughs> 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 well, I, I, I like being the cheap steak as long as I can you get away with it kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. What, to what degree can I get away with it? So um, what, one more thing. I know you have seen the ebb and flow of handgun hunting over the years, you know, going from the golden ages starting in the 60s and kind of tapering off at the end of the last century and uh, then the market totally kind of dropping basically handgun hunters for the last 20 years or so. I mean, with some notable exceptions, but what, where do you see um, the opportunities for creating more impetus to grow the sport of handgun hunting? And what do you think the best thing handgun hunters can do now for the future of our sport? I think we're, it's an interesting thing in terms of what people use in terms of firearms and bow hunting and uh, crossbow hunting and muzzleloader hunting. The pendulum swings from back and forth. And I think what's happening is, is, is and I really foresee a good future in terms of handgun hunting because we're, we're seeing a lot of these people now, they've gotten in the semi-automatics. Well, after that, I'm talking about rifles. Mm-hmm. Okay, now it's the, the big craze is the long range thing. And there's going to come a time in the not too distant future or in my opinion, where these same guys are going to go, oh my God, I can. There's nothing to shooting a deer at a thousand yards. You know, there's there's no fun in that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're going to start seeing people go back. They love the smell of burnt gunpowder, which to me is the <laughs> finest aroma in the world, yeah. kind of thing. And uh, I think those same folks, a lot of those, will start looking at uh, looking at handguns and going. You know, with I can, I'm still, I can, I'm talking about revolvers primarily. I'm still a hundred yard shot if I want to, or I can, you know, I can try to get even closer than that. And uh, so I really feel like in the future, in the next several years, we're going to start seeing an upswing in terms of people going to handgun hunting. Uh, what can we do is in, in terms of promoting all this is to, uh, I think it's going to kind of self-promote itself. And I used to get tickled because I'd go to a place and somebody look at my handgun and they go, what are you going to do with that thing? Mm-hmm. Well, we're shot at the range and guess what? My handgun outshot their rifle. And so I think that kind of thing and where we can promote the, the handgun funding into how much fun it is and how much fun it is to, to get closer to that animal before you pull the trigger. And, and the perception I think too, of, Handgun hunting being rather difficult, and you and I both know that if you once you start shooting a handgun and you get proficient with it, you're really proficient with it. Uh, you, you'll you'll pick your shots a little bit better than what you might with a rifle and all those other kind of things. So I think anything that we can do to make it look like it's fun, which it is, and uh, just to, just to be seen more often, those of us who are handgun hunters. 
the interesting thing is, is uh, being from a background as well as outdoor television, I can tell you this, this as a fact that whenever we run and ran a, a hunt with a handgun, our viewership went up tremendously hmm. and it was followed by, uh, lots of questions from our comments, you know, emails and, and, uh, uh, social media and all this kind of thing. And I always try to respond to everybody that would had to take the time to, you know, get in touch with me. And so I'd get back with them and we'd kind of go back and forth a little bit. And my question always was, what kind of handgun do you shoot? And it, whether it's a personal response in terms of writing or a face-to-face, well, I don't have one yet. Yeah. And it was always that yet that, that caught my attention because now we've got their, their attention in, in terms of how much fun it is to hunt with a handgun and and then how effective handguns are that we have with the ammunition particularly these days and the accuracy of the guns that we shoot that uh, I really feel that we're going to start seeing as I said that movement away from over a period of time at least from a hunting perspective of guys going yeah, you know I think it might be fun to shoot a gun where I have to get closer part of that you're seeing that right now in terms of rifles as well with the resurgence of the or resurgence that we've had in, in lever action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We look at how many lever actions are being sold. And the, the, all we need to do is to have just a few more people uh, out there, you know, on, on the TV and, and those kind of things, shooting handguns and, and uh, talking about how much fun it is. And I think we can accentuate that rate of interest in handgun hunting. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good advice. And that's kind of what we're trying to do at HHI is increase oh, exposure, you know, Increase exposure. Well, you, you're doing a fantastic job there. And, and as, as the word gets out even more and more, uh, you're just going to keep doing a better job. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Well, I couldn't do it without the support of the members, including people like you. It's just been it's been a great journey. And, you know, this community is very, very um, vehement and very protective of itself and very keen on sharing what we've learned with the next generation. I I mean, like I said, people like you and others in HHI who have just been so generous with their time and experience and knowledge are, are what give me hope because we are literally securing the future of our sport by, by collecting all this data and information. You are. And to me, that occasionally I have, People ask, you know, we're kind of learn more about handgun hunting, and, mm-hmm. and even if sometimes when they just kind of hint that, I try to steer them in your direction with with HHI because uh, what a great opportunity to to get to know people, to also have, uh, you know, you've got a great resource in the members uh, to pro- be able to provide advice, whether it's uh, about the handguns, whether it's about the ammo, whether it's optics or whether it's where, where can I go hunting or, you know, what's the place, best place to go hunt for this. All that is available through what you've done or what you have set up there. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I'm, I'm very happy with where we're going. So, before we go, I want to let, give you a chance to tell, tell us what you're up to these days, where people can watch you, read you, listen to you, and uh, what you got on the horizon. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, I do, like you, I do a podcast called, my podcast, my personal podcast called DSC's Campfires with Larry Weissman as in Dallas Sport Clubs. And it's available on almost any place where you find the, uh, the podcast, but also on Carbon TV, and we're actually going to start taking it to uh, 
a video uh, as well as a um, audio format. And that'll be starting probably sometime in, in the early part of March, mid-March. Then also I do a, a podcast for Sporting Classics Daily called uh, Campfires with Luke and Larry, which I do with Luke Clayton. And it is also a weekly podcast. And it can you go to Sporting Classics and, and uh, uh, find out where to find uh, Sporting Classics Daily as well, too. And then we do uh, still doing a, a TV show, or it's a, a, a digital TV show on Carbon TV called uh, sportsman's life that I do with Luke Clayton and, uh, Jeff Rice. And, uh, then we're just starting another TV show or the other digital show called, uh, the journey, which I'm doing with Brandon Houston. And, uh, a lot of our things that we're doing with Brandon Houston, and we did several handgun hunts that will be airing there as well. too. And occasionally when I do a hunt for, uh, uh, sportsman's life, I try to get a handgun hunt on there as well too. So both those are great sources as far as, seeing what we're up to with the handguns and, and what we're shooting and, and what we're hunting and those kind of things. Uh, Writing-wise, uh, on a digital perspective, I do a fair amount for uh, North American Deer Hunter, North American Outdoorsman. Um, I do uh, uh, also American Outdoor News. Gosh, let's see. There, and then I do blogs for a whole bunch of other places, including Carbon TV and, and internationalsportsman.com and and uh, the the Taurus website and and uh, DSC and Hornady and Trigicon and and a few others and then also try to whenever there's a, uh, a chance send an article your way as well too so a lot of places to kind of catch up with me and we're some on Facebook and uh, there's a uh, at Larry Wysoon at on Instagram as well too and and uh, so there's a lot of ways to get in touch with me uh, what's on the horizon right now is just trying to catch my breath from a long hunting season <laughs> and uh which has been an, a, one of those in quotation interesting ones mm. in terms of uh uh the, got to do a tremendous amount of hunting did not pull the trigger nearly as often as i hope to but uh still ended up with venison in the freezer kind of thing and got a bunch of good hunts coming up this this year that i'm really looking forward to and of course several of them will be with the handgun and uh just kind of looking at, uh, you know, spending as much time as I can with my family and, and doing a little bit of riding here and there and just kind of hopefully somewhere down the way, maybe go on a fishing trip or something. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, you need, let's, maybe we'll talk. Maybe we can fit a half dozen or so more things into your schedule. You know, it sounds like you need them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that we moved from Uvalde about five years ago in Ellis and Brenham, which for the people who don't know, is about halfway between Austin and Houston not far from where my wife and I both grew up down south in Colorado County, but uh, we moved here with my intentions of, of slowing down just a little bit. And uh, I think if anything has happened, it is it, those things have greatly increased in what I'm doing and all those other kind of things. And of course, I'm loving every moment of it. So that's the good part. Well, Larry, your, your attitude is an inspiration. I always love talking to you. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you joining me on the podcast today and uh, all your help with HHI, the writing that you do for us, and just your influence in the industry for handgun hunting. It's just thank you so much for that. You're, you're very kind. It has been my pleasure and honor to spend time with you on the podcast. All right, sir. Have a good one. Man, what I tell you, what a nice guy, what a just a gentleman and so helpful. He has helped so many people in this industry. It's just amazing. Uh, please make sure that you follow Larry Wysoon at 
Larry Wysoon. The correct spelling of his name is in the description of the show. And uh, he's just he's just a great guy to follow. And please read his works and listen to his podcast again, especially the one that I'm on. Uh, I hope you've noticed a theme with some of these really experienced hunters about their optimism for the future of handgun hunting and their encouragement on how to get into it today. That's been really meaningful to me to find out from them. And I hope that you'll tune in next time because I interviewed Ken Kelly of Magnaport. In case you didn't know, his father, Larry Kelly, was Handgun Hunters International member number two. He traveled all over the world hunting with a handgun. Of course, he was fam- made famous uh, in our world for inventing the Magnaport process, which tames recoil. But we'll get into all that next time with Ken Kelly. Until then, thank you. This podcast is produced by Handgun Hunters International. HHI is the only organization dedicated solely to supporting and growing the sport of handgun hunting. Membership gets you access to our great, well-moderated forum where friendly handgun hunters of all experience levels share stories and information from folks that have actual experience in our sport. We also host giveaways to our members of guns, gear, and ammo every month, and each prize is worth several times what membership costs. In addition to this podcast, we publish a free digital magazine, The Six Gunner, which is written exclusively by HHI members. If you are a handgun hunter or support handgun hunting in any way, you need to be a member of HHI. Join today at handgunhuntersinternational.com. Again, if you have any questions on how to get started in handgun hunting, please reach out to me at ryan at handgunhuntersinternational.com. If you think we deserve it, please leave us a five-star review and don't forget to follow Handgun Hunters International on social media at handgunhuntersint. God bless and good hunting.